Dear Broadies, before I get to the episode, I want to take a moment to address the June 24th, 2022 Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. This decision stripped away the right to have a safe and legal abortion in the United States. Everyone should have the freedom to decide what's best for themselves and their families, including when it comes to ending a pregnancy. This decision has dire consequences for individual health and safety, and could have harsh repercussions for other landmark decisions in this country. Restricting access to comprehensive reproductive care, including abortion, threatens the health and independence of all Americans and people who live in America. Learn more by visiting choice.crd.co. That's choice.crd.co. If you're able to support others, please consider donating to abortion funds. You can find a list of where to donate in each state at donationsforabortion.com. That's donations, the number four, abortion.com. I have personally started donating to states where trigger laws go into effect immediately. Remember, even if you can only spend $1 or $5, that helps. There are things we can do to fight this, and it is going to take continued focus and community support. So I encourage you to speak up, take care, and spread the word. Also, like, dehumanizing people isn't a joke. So, like, what's your punchline? You know, and that's oftentimes when people bring that up, that's, they're basically like, I used a slur, but it was a joke. So, you know, or like I I didn't have a punchline. I just wanted to shit on people. That's not a joke. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pod Broads. This is a podcast about women in podcasting, and I'm your host, Alexandra Cole. Hello, 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 my dear broadies. Welcome to the very first live recording on the RSS feed. This is from the October 28th, 2021 live show of the Pod Broads, which happened at Star Bar in Brooklyn, New York. In this, you're going to hear me talk to three wonderful live guests, Nora Tagore, Tiffany Ashate, and Bronwyn Isaac. And I'm really not going to keep you very long because I just want to jump you into the live show. So if you follow me on Twitter, you would have seen me tweet about how you're just going to have to imagine hearing Womanizer by Britney Spears and Set Fire to the Rain by Adele right before we jump into the actual intro to the show. Obviously, I couldn't include that because of copyright. Um, But yeah, I'm so excited for you to hear this. And in the new year, I'm definitely planning on doing more. So if that's something you'd like to attend, make sure to follow me on social media at Podgerland or to sign up for my newsletter, which you can find at podgerland.com. That way you can keep up with any updates about live shows and other fun, new, exciting developments for the pod broads in the new year. Also, you're just going to get to hear me be the most unfiltered and hear all the laughter and and um, active listening that I tend to do with my guests that I normally cut out at least half of when I give you the edited versions of these conversations. So you're really just going to get the full immersive experience of what it is to be with me and a guest, but also with the crowd reacting along with us, which was super fun. So I hope you enjoy. Hello, hello, hello. Oh my god, I'm so blind up here. Um, I probably should have worn my glasses. So, thank you so much for being here. Welcome to the first Podbrads Live. 
Um, so most of you, pretty much everyone in this room has probably listened to the podcast or been on the podcast. Um, and so you already know a bit about it, but just to kind of reiterate and also have for the live and why I want to put this night together is that two years ago, I started a blog called Podraland, which is all about amplifying women's voices in podcasting, because I had seen how positively the women in the podcast industry had improved my life just through like listening and getting like free knowledge from them, which I was super grateful for at the time. And I started this blog, and then from there, it just kind of kept becoming more things and I ultimately started this podcast and my goal with it is just to I just want to show off the cool shit that women are doing in the space and I feel like we all should be like getting more attention for the work that we're doing and should be listened to more um so that's essentially it and tonight I have three amazing women who are going to be joining me on stage and I'm super super stoked for you to hear from them it is obviously going to be a slightly different format than my show. So my show is a long-form interview with one woman at once. And we get into her life, we get into her work, we get into how those two things intersect, and sometimes ramble on about other things. And tonight, I will be interviewing three different people. And we'll have shorter sets and just be going through a few questions. I'm going to try, try and rein it in, um, which is hard for me, but... Yeah, that's essentially it. So I am going to be looking at my phone a lot, but that's because I need to look at my questions. So just, I'm not on Instagram, I promise. Um, my first guest is Bronwyn Isaac, and she is a new, woo, yes. <laughs> I'm gonna read her like official bio, and then I wanna tell you a brief story, and then I'm gonna have you clap while she comes on stage. So Bronwyn Isaac is a New York writer, stand-up comedian, and podcast host. She has been seen on Showtime and Sundance TV, and she's published work in Vice, Paper Mag, Bustle, Reductress, Hello Giggles, Some Cards, Cracked, and many other corners of the internet. And she currently hosts the Bad Romance podcast with Jordan Searles. Um, and they dissect bad romantic comedies and sometimes fall in love with them. And the funny story related there that I wanted to tell is that my partner, Carrie, who is helping out with this show and is currently recording everything, um, we, we went pre-pandemic to a live podcast recording of Bad Romance Pod, and that was, it was just a random night that I chose to go during like the New York City Podcast Festival. And we chose this one because it sounded really interesting and they were covering Love Actually and just shitting on it. And it's our favorite movie to watch together. Um, <laughs> and um, thus began our friendship. And now we're going to be on stage together, which I think is pretty fucking dope. So let's welcome Bronwyn up to stage with a big round of applause. Oh my god, this is so fun already. I love it. <laughs> Yay. Oh my god. Um, can you hear how nervous I am in my voice? Um, okay. Thank you're you. <laughs> okay, not all of you can see, but she has fabulous nails right oh, now. Oh, thank you. You I have just... power nails. <laughs> <laughs> I just got them done this morning. Um, <laughs> priorities. Okay, so I want to start with a question that I ask on the podcast. And I normally ask, what do you do in your work? and then ask, who are you outside of your work? And we already kind of found out who she is in her work, right, with that amazing list that I just read. So I'm just going to pose the question of, who are you outside of your work? 
Um, that is a question I'm working on with my therapist. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, I'm not sure. I mean, I, like, who am I? I don't know. Some days I feel like I don't exist, you know? Like, you're, like, on the internet, and you're like, do I have a body? Um, like, am I, like, a physical person? <laughs> um, I think who I am... I think the things I do do sum up who I am, not in a capitalist, like, I am my production way, but just in a, I'm drawn towards the things that I care about. So I want to joke around. I think that at the end of the day, like, you have to joke because everything's so absurd. Um, (laughs) But I'm also very passionate, and I have a lot of opinions, so I like to write them down and make other people read them. (laughs) Um, Because it's, it's like, better for my friendships. Otherwise, I'm just, like, ranting at people, and they're like, please get an outlet. Um, Uh, like, if you want to talk to me about Catfish, I will tell you why I think it's actually a really revolutionary show that humanizes mm. people um, and really shows us how to talk about conflict in a healthy way. But that's really just me justifying the fact that I watch a lot of it. <laughs> so, um, so I don't know if that answers the question. I like I I mean, I guess the basic bio, I grew up in Seattle. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, any West Coast, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and, um, and then I lived in Chicago for about four or five years. I don't know what time is. Yep. Um, and then I came here about six years ago, and I'm one of seven kids. Um, I was homeschooled, um, so I, I made it. I know how to talk to people, kind of. Um, <laughs> yeah, raised very, like, kind of culty, so I feel like a lot of my work is just me overcompensating for, like, being in the house a long time. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's a great overview. Also, definitely follow Bronwyn on TikTok, because she's hilarious on there. I mean, any any platform, but TikTok is is my favorite one to consume your comedy through. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. That's so nice. I, like, I love TikTok. It's fantastic. I learned so much from teenagers. <laughs> like... They, I don't even check the sources. I'm like, okay, this 16-year-old taught me today. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, so let's talk a little bit about Bad Romance Pod. And I'm curious, I, I want to know the moment that you and Jordan like, sat down and looked at each other and were like, yes, this is what it's going to be. And yeah. then what that process was like, getting, getting it up and running. And totally. Like, how did you even start to choose which romance like Which stories romances. to start with like yeah. yeah yeah so okay so Jordan and I met on the internet through a women in comedy Facebook group so that cool. kind of that you know that's a few years ago right because we don't use <laughs> we don't use Facebook anymore um, and mostly in the group we just talk about male comedians to avoid but then sometimes we like book yeah. each other and I was booking people for this weird like it was burlesque it was comedy it was in Manhattan, like, off-Broadway. It was one of those shows It was, like, 4 p.m., super weird vibe, yeah. and yeah. I booked her on it, and I was like, I'm so sorry. There was somebody, like, writhing on the ground to Katy Perry, <laughs> you know? And, like, uh, she was, like, taking notes for her comedy, and we just, like, kind of whisper-talked and, like, bonded. Yeah. And then later she told me she had this idea for a podcast, and, she, and we were internet friends, so she kind of knew some of my perspective. I knew some of hers. Yeah. She's like, would you want to make a podcast about bad romantic comedies? But we're not just making fun of them. We're giving them actual film criticism treatment because Mm -hmm. I think, you know, bad romantic comedies used to be called chick flicks, right? Mm -hmm. So there's this very kind of misogynist idea that if it's geared towards women, it's automatically bad art. And I don't think that's true. I think there's a lot of very feminine art that can be very strong. But I think what the genre has an issue with is people don't take it seriously, so they don't try. Mm. 
and a lot of okay, I'll keep this short, but a lot of <laughs> no, I'm loving it. Keep, like a lot of it. male directors who direct in other genres will direct one really bad romantic comedy because they don't think they need to actually develop the story. And then it'll become popular because they already wrote a Marvel movie or whatever. And then it just, it creates this confirmation bias that the genre itself is immediately, you know, bad. So we wanted to get nerdy about romantic comedies and make fun of how toxic they can be, but also talk about what can make them good. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. I have two questions from that. So... It feels like you're referencing a very specific director there, so I'm curious, like, what romantic comedy that was in I reference really, to, okay. if you can remember. No, I really wish that I actually had one person in my brain. <laughs> like, it, there have been so many times it's when we were doing funny. research about a movie, and we realized that the director directed something really good, and then that was in a completely different genre. Yeah. Um, and I really wish I could remember a specific example, mm-hmm. but I can... Um, I can text you an example later that you could put on your Instagram. Great. I'll, I'll, di- <laughs> I'll disseminate it to the group. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, what, like, in your conversations with Jordan, like, what have you two kind of identified as what makes a romantic comedy good then? Um, I think a big thing is just the basics of chemistry on screen. Mm. Um, like, they <laughs> cast people like they're Barbie dolls. Like, they're just like, these people are attractive, so therefore they make mm. sense. That's not how chemistry works, right? Yeah. So you have these actors, and you don't know if they ever talk to each other on set. There's no energy. There's no romance in the way that they look at each other. Their body language is uncomfortable. Yeah. It's like they're just going through the motions. So I think um, characters, characters and actors that actually feel like they would fall in love. Yeah, And I think... I think that with other genres of romance, like with dramas, you see a lot better casting for that because it's taken seriously and the love matters. But in uh, romantic comedy, it's just like, oh, well, you know, there's going to be like a bucket of chocolate that falls on her and then she quits her job, right? Like, (laughs) it doesn't... uh, Yeah, that's that's one of the things. The other thing is... um, the pacing, I think pacing is really hard in comedy in general. It's one of the major things with any kind of comedy movie or performance. Yeah. And romantic comedy is trying to create love and comedy. And I don't think that the timing works in a lot of the movies. So they try to rush it too much. And then it's not funny. It's annoying. Mm. Um, or they try to rush the love. And then you're just like, I don't care about these people. Because you don't know <laughs> anything. Yeah. So I think a lot of it is taking... You have to take it seriously for it to be good comedy. Yeah, yeah. So, do you? Um, I'm really putting you on the spot right now, but do you have any romantic comedies that come to mind that you would put in the bucket of being shot more from like the female gaze versus male gaze? Ooh, oh, I love that question. <laughs> um, okay, well, I'm trying to think if this is really female gaze, but one of the romantic comedies that I think is really underrated and kind of like, it's kind of sexy, but it's super weird, is uh, Love Potion Number 9. Okay, um, I know the name, but I don't really know what it is. So It know. has Sandra Bullock before okay. she was, she was like kind of almost famous at that point. Mm-hmm. So you have the Sandra Bullock energy. Yeah. Um, and I feel like it does a really good job of shooting her, not in a male gaze way. Like, she's a scientist. She's really passionate about animals. Um, there's magic because there's a potion, of course. 
So, you know, <laughs> there's multiple potions. I don't want to give it all away. I think it's streaming. Um, but I, it does a really good job of actually making her a human being, which sadly is not the case for a lot of these movies. Yeah. But also the men are human beings too. And that's one thing we do talk about is mm. romantic comedies don't make anyone look good. That like bad ones. Uh, the men are usually just very one note. The women are very one note. Everyone's straight. It's just very like, you know. It's we joke that uh, a lot of them feel like uh, kind of heterosexual propaganda because mm-hmm. like there's like a woman yeah. who's happy at her job and she has friends and then like some horrible thing happens and she realizes she needs to like quit it and like marry a man who's mean to her. <laughs> like that's. <laughs> It's like every Kate Hudson movie. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I don't know if that really answered your question, though. No, it it did. It gave gave me something to go Google after this. Okay, good. Now I'm going to go watch that movie now. Um, Okay, so I would be remiss if I did not ask you about this while you were on stage um, because it's so out of my experience, and so I definitely want to hear a little bit about your personal experience of just doing doing stand-up and comedy in the New York City circuit, like, what has that been like and what have been some of the challenges? I mean, we're in podcasting, which is still super male-dominated, and comedy, like, oh, my God, is very male-dominated. Um, and so I want to hear a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, so I, I started comedy when I was in Chicago. I actually worked as a bar back at Second City. Oh, nice. Um, and I was in college, and I was writing scripts, and so I was already writing things that were comedy-related, and then everyone I was working with was a comedian. And I was actually... I think I had kind of the opposite reaction of a lot of people when they start. I was like, oh, no, stand-up's really hard. So, (laughs) Whereas a lot of people are like, that can't be hard. Um, I could go talk. (laughs) Um, And then I started doing it there. So my introduction to comedy was in the Chicago scene, which has a lot of similarities to the New York scene. Um, But it's smaller, so when you run into issues, especially with misogyny, it's a lot harder to find a new corner. And I definitely... I think when you start comedy as a young woman, one of the hardest parts is your first few years because you're basically prey. <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. Yeah. But if you're new and you're at the mics and you're young and you're not funny yet, people don't care as much if someone disrespects you because mm-hmm. um, you need to be funny. That's more important than your humanity in the mm. scene. Um, and so I experienced a lot of misogyny in Chicago and I called out some of the male comedians um, by name, which you were not supposed to do. Mm. Um, and then I ended up moving here, and my experience has been a lot better because it's a lot bigger scene, mm-hmm. and it's just more, there's just more corners. There's a lot more um, networks for really, like, any community in New yeah. York. And so I don't know if that's directly answering what it's like in New York, but I think I have to talk about my first experience yeah. to talk about New York. Um it's, I mean, it's hard because you can do it for so long and just be meeting new people every single time you're out. Mm-hmm. And on one hand, that's really wonderful. But on another hand, it's hard to know how to, I don't know, um, ground yourself, I guess, with yeah. the community or which venues you want to work with. Um, so it's fun. And it, <laughs> there's amazing people here. But I think as a woman in comedy, you really have to... For me, I just kind of laugh at assholes. Like, that's my way of coping. Like, I'm, I, I get angry. Yeah. But so many of the people who are still misogynist and think women aren't funny are the least funny people I've ever met. So, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. 
Like, I don't Round know. Round of applause like, for that, yes. Like, definitely. they always have the same reasons, so yeah. it doesn't hurt my feelings. I'm just exhausted that they're still here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, my final question for you is related to a lot of the discourse that we've been seeing in the comedy world right now, and I want to hear your thoughts on the constant, it seems, question that particularly I hear cis men ask, um, but just like, oh, we can't joke about things anymore. Like, how do you feel slash respond to when you get that energy? Okay, well, um, it's <laughs> bullshit. Like, yeah. what, I don't know what the hell they're talking about. You could go to any show or mic, and it's very obvious people are saying whatever they want. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's bad. Like, uh, and also, if that's your biggest takeaway from the world right now and from the scene, you are a hack. Like I don't like truly. Like you can joke about anything, but people also don't have to like you, mm-hmm. um, and they always have a right to tell you that. And <laughs> like, yeah, it's just also like dehumanizing people isn't a joke. So like, what's your punchline? You know, and that's yeah. oftentimes when people bring that up. That's they're basically like. I used a slur, but it was a joke, so, you know? Or, like, I, I didn't have a punchline. I just wanted to shit on people. That's not a joke. So, like, you're not making jokes. You're a bad comedian. Um, yeah. I mean, I will say there are annoying people no matter what you joke about. Like, one time I made a joke. <laughs> I was, like, I said that the guys at Wrigley Field, um, their beards are more interesting than their personalities. Um... <laughs> And I got, like, a death threat for that, you know? Oh, my God. So, like, there's going to be people who don't like you no matter what you joke about, and there are people who don't know how to take jokes. Yeah. But I think that the people who bring that up are really hypocritical because they want to be considered artists and they want to be considered philosophers. Mm -hmm. It's often the people who are, like, comedians are philosophers. But if they get treated with the same critique... Um, or the same responses as an artist or a philosopher, then they want to say, oh, it's a joke, and you don't get it, and, like, everyone's attacking me. Mm. So That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Love that. Um, okay, well, we do have to begin to wrap up, so I want to make sure that you have a moment to let everyone know where to follow you and how to support your work. Oh, okay. Um, okay, so um, my co-host, Jordan Searles, she's not here because she's, like, booked and busy as well, but you should go follow her online um, at Judy Squirrels on Twitter. She's also going to be on a show, Drunk Black History, at uh, Caveat tomorrow. She's going to talk about Sister Rosetta Tharp, so that'll be really cool. Um, You can follow me at, well, right now my Twitter is whatever. It'll be back. Um, (laughs) I, like, always kind of, like, get kicked off of social media. It's fun. Um, But... (laughs) I'm not saying anything bad, um, but you can follow me on Instagram at Bronwoom or um, on TikTok at Bronwoom or Bron.computer, and um, you can listen to the podcasts, uh, yeah. Bad Romance Podcast. So, yeah, awesome! Yeah. Round of applause. Thank you. Thank you. You just said it right there. Okay, next up, um, next up we have Nora Tagori, and she has been on the podcast before. She was on episode two of season two, and I'm super stoked to have her back for this live event. And she's an award-winning journalist and producer blazing a trail across mainstream media. With an aware and engaged community of over two million followers, Nora's storytelling emphasizes subcultures and marginalized communities in the U.S., 
Her documentary and podcast series, Sold in America, received a Gracie's Award for Best Investigative Series in 2019. Yeah. Shortly after, Nora founded At Your Service, her production company and consultancy, telling stories through a lens of service and representation. From viral stories to global speaking tours to her own line of fashion, Nora is raising the bar every step of the way. Dell, Google, Nivea, Prada, and SAP SAP, are a few of the many partners turning to Nora to build bridges that connect communities. Her show, podcast, Nor, features interviews with celebrities and thought leaders, and she also hosts different docuseries and shows for big brands. Big round of applause for Nor. Come on up. I got two separate orders of different loaded fries because I wanted to try them, and um, the fact that they're vegan is nuts. <laughs> so make sure you order fries. Yes. No, that's a good reminder. Make sure that you're buying drinks and tipping the bartenders. Um, okay, so as I mentioned, you've been on the podcast before. Yes. It's lovely to it's see you in person. conversation. <laughs> and I wanted to kind of ask a follow-up question. So for, for this segment of tonight's event, we're going to kind of talk a little bit about something that was brought up on the podcast for a little bit, and then I have some listener questions that people wanted to ask Let's more. do it. Yeah. Okay, so Woo! on on our episode you mentioned your new your new documentary and podcast project that you're currently working on and I believe is slated to come out next year, correct? Yes, yes. spring 2022. Okay. And so why don't why don't we just start with you telling this crowd since not everyone I don't think has actually heard that episode just a little bit about what that is and then I'll have a follow-up for you. Cool. Yeah. Um, okay. You know, it's kind of interesting to share. It's always interesting to share like projects while you're in the middle of working on them. And mm -hmm. the way that I've gotten over that or used it to my advantage is that I always, I involve everyone in the project while we're working on it. Mm -hmm. So I did that um, with my last investigative series, Sold in America, where I spent about two and a half years investigating the sex trade in the U.S., and then I am doing it now. And I have taken this like period of a few years to do another investigative series because, well, one, it takes a really big toll on you, especially if you like don't have the appropriate tools and armor to, to be able to go through vicarious trauma and um, come back to yourself in the end, especially because the stories that I tell are very, very personal. Like, I'm always telling them because of a personal experience. Mm. Um, so this one came to me while I was working on Sold years ago, and I was like, what is the, what is the next part of my identity that I need to deconstruct <laughs> and build an entire <laughs> investigation around? <laughs> and what I realized, what that that was maybe like that was birthed a few years ago, but January 1st of this year is when I had a really big breakthrough about it. And I thought about how much shame I felt growing up about every aspect of my identity and how I carried it almost like a, a secret. Like when you're a first gen kid or anybody who has multiple aspects of identity, you have different versions of yourself and you get really good at playing those versions of yourself. Like you're one person at home, you're one person at school, you're one person at work. And it's a survival skill that you get really good at. 
And so I used to, I, I would carry that and I carried it for so long thinking, like, not that I was being inauthentic because they were still parts of myself, but I was being very protective and anxious about it. And I thought it was all my fault. Like, I thought that that was... Like, I was the only one who, person who was going through that, and I had so many different experiences of finding out that, well, I'm not, and also so many of us carry so many of these feelings, even if we carry different identities. <clears throat> and a huge reason for that, I keep saying the word weapon almost, but mm. maybe that's very intense right now, but... The, the thing that had really shaken me was realizing that it was my own industry that actually played a huge hand in this. And I have, since I was a kid, been obsessed with television, been obsessed with like books, media, just storytelling in general, every aspect of it, every kind of it. Um, and I was able to trace back certain images that I had seen in the media that made me feel the way that I did and carry that shame. Yeah. So now I'm basically investigating this <laughs> and um, I am deconstructing, deconstructing how the misrepresentation or the representation of Muslims in American media has impacted all of our identities and culture. Because um, as like one of the most misrepresented groups in the big American story, I realized that um, that there were there's a lot of systems and people who benefit from this, but for most of us, it's hurting us deeply, even if you have never met a Muslim before. And um, it's super, it's deeply personal, and I've realized like I've been working on this project since I was a kid. I just didn't know it. So it's been very intense to, to, to sit with my team and be like, this is how we build out this story, and then realize that like we're, we're putting together the pieces of ourselves and the pieces of our history and rewriting what that looks like and then freeing ourselves from the trauma. And so a couple of theories I have is that America's greatest export is its story mm. and the story that we've presented to the world. And so what does it look like when we actually um, figure out like who the characters in the story were, who actually wrote the story to begin with and who needs to rewrite it in order for us to heal? And heal from what? Well, for example, we waged a war on terror 20 years ago and terror is a feeling so like the entire country waged a war on a feeling instead of processing and going through the feelings mm. and because we haven't been able to do that it's like when January 6th happened I remember um, watching the just like the videos just everything and following the story of the insurrection and seething and I remember spitting through my teeth terrorist and I said that to the television, mm -hmm. and immediately, like, my body seized up. And I was like, why did my body react like that? And also, why did I say that word? Mm -hmm. Oh, it's because I felt terrified. And that terror was masked with anger, because that's what we've been taught to do. Mm -hmm. And so if we decide to, and of, of course, everybody has differing opinions on this, but where I was in my healing journey and am in my healing journey is that I decided after that I wasn't going to use that term for those people because if we are going to actually pro like if we're going to do it America's way and continue the war on terror then it's just going to result in the surveillance of black brown Muslim people in America 
And so we have to be very clear about the language that we used. And specifically for that one, like, we didn't hear people at the very, very top of, our, uh, of power in America use the words white supremacy when they were talking about this. And so, like, language is a really big part of it. Anyway, it's, it's really telling the story of America through the lens of, of how I got to see it and, um, co and br bringing to you all characters of all walks of life who have been impacted by this story and reminding you that it's impacted you too and that you are welcome to join the healing as well. Yeah. It's like a really long... Yeah, no, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad that we had another time to dig into that a little bit more because I yeah. know that we didn't... like A lot of our initial conversation for that episode was kind of the before, before part of yeah, that leading I mean, up to it. We had just started... Like, <laughs> that was... We finally, we have an amazing team for this. People who have done this work for a very long time. And um, I'm, I'm nervous to talk about it, but I'm very <laughs> like, ha I'm putting it out there in case anybody has a story of yeah. something that they have felt along the way that may resemble or may relate to, to this. And including people who are like, yeah, I mean, these are the things that were said in my household. And I know it's because this is what we saw. Like, that those stories are really important because it's how it's what you how you've shaped your identity and how you view the world and even if it's still from a negative like one thing about how I approach storytelling is like you might say things that hurt my feelings or have viewpoints that are really hurtful to me and and people that I may call community and I still like I will still work to understand why and that doesn't mean I'll like ever agree with you or be cool with you and want to be friends with you, but it's important for us to understand each other. Um, and I like carry I, I like carry that responsibility in creating a space for people to be able to even be able to say those things. So that's really part of the journey. Yeah, yeah. I'm playing around with a few different questions that come up. That's always what happens to me. Um, <laughs> So, well, first off, I appreciate hearing your perspective about that piece on using the word terrorist, because I remember, I very clearly remember that day as well. Um, my partner and I were on the way bringing our cat to the vet and then on Twitter seeing that, like, news break. And that was also the word that came to mind for me and also was initially what I was seeing people be like, we need to name them as terrorists because we attach this so quickly to Muslim folks, but not to white people. But then I also saw people expressing what you were just expressing about how we have to be careful about actually using that word in general. Yeah, yeah. That's, and that's really the thing. It's like it's yeah. not like we're telling people, no, don't use it for white people, use it for just Muslims. It's like, right. hey, can we actually examine why we use a word that's rooted in an emotion that none mm. of us have actually taken the time as like community leaders in a country to process through the lens of trauma, yeah, because that's where it really comes from, and and you know it's really interesting because some of like the way that I've been thinking about this has really been coming through the perspective of my ten-year-old brother, mm. who like has gone down the rabbit hole of the war on terror. He's ten, but he's been really obsessed with understanding like nine eleven, and all of mm. this came down from like his him not being able to understand why we had to take our shoes off at the airport. Mm. And my mom being like, well, it wasn't always like this. Mm. And, yeah. and then he, you know, 
went down that rabbit hole and I remember, I mean, this was just like a couple months ago, but he said to me, I just want people to know that we're not all like this. And I remember like wanting to scream because I was like, all the stuff that you're watching, like you're not seeing any Muslim representation in it. Like these stories around 9-11 have rarely include a Muslim voice in it, even though like there were Muslim firefighters who died yeah. on 9-11. And obviously if we were to include Muslim voices, we'd also have to include the voices of um, people who were impacted by what we did overseas in the last 20 years and face like the reality of that. But just the fact that like my 10 year old brother, based on what he saw, the representation around this story, immediately felt like his identity was tied to this thing that he has nothing to do with. Yeah. And it just showed me like in real time what I know happened to so many of us as kids. Yeah. And that's like, again, not only a Muslim thing or a 9-11 thing, it's like how, what, what events in your life can you go back to and interrogate and be like, oh, wait, this thing that you did as like that you adopted, this story that you picked up as a survival mechanism as a child is a story you don't have to carry. Like you can let go of that and you can be like, mm, not mine to carry. I'm just going to give it back. Or I'm just going to like work to understand this and gain perspective from it, but sit, like choose what defines me and what doesn't. And I think that if everybody did that on more of an individual level, we'd be able to rewrite stories of communities in a way that even diversifies the community. Like one thing I've been thinking about a lot lately is I used to say community only like when I was referencing, like I'd be like, yeah, and it's impacted me and my community. And I'm like talking about Muslim people and I'm like, mm -hmm. but then I, you know, I just had a really special um, dinner that I hosted a couple nights ago, and I was looking around the room, and I was just like, every single person in this room is from a completely different walk of life. This is my mm. community. Yeah. And because identity is so, is like such a, identity and generalization is something that like is very predominant in this country because we see how groups of like as Americans how we react to different groups of people it's like we don't even give people the space to know that they can exist outside of what how we've defined them and so like and you have things like George Bush saying you know creating this um, good Muslim versus bad Muslim like you're either with us or against us and then not understanding what a good Muslim is or what a bad Muslim is in America's eyes, and, but knowing that you can get punished or you can be surveilled or you can be taken to jail for playing paintball at any given moment and not understand what you did right or wrong because so many of it was wrongful. And so then as a community, we end up doing that to ourselves, like surveilling and policing ourselves because of how traumatized we've been. Mm -hmm. And... Um, there's just so there's so much healing work to do in all of our, in all of like the sub communities of the identities that we hold or still participate partake in or, um, if we choose to still be in those spaces. So, yeah, it's just a matter of if we're willing to take a look at ourselves. Yeah, yeah. So we've been talking a lot about, I would say like really like, big media representation, and so I'm also curious. Because you mentioned how you kind of went through this period where you were, you really like identified, oh, like th these were the things that were impacting me 
growing up in the media and were imprinting on me in a way. And I guess I wonder, like, if you can point to any in this moment, what were some of the more, like, like covert, I guess, media moments or things in media, whether that's, like, magazines or, like, other types of media we're consuming that you feel like were affecting you and you weren't, like, you well, realized later on, like, yeah, oh, huh. I think it's, like, I... There's so many ways I can answer this, but one way that sticks out to me is it's not even about, like, the covertness yeah. more than it is about just, like, the lack of representation. Yeah. Like, it was very simple to me. When I was growing up and I was watching television, the news anchors and news reporters were blonde hair and blue-eyed, so I thought I would have to be blonde-haired and blue-eyed to be on television because my child brain saw, oh, well, nobody who, who looks like my mom is on here, which means you can't look like my mom. And I swore, I was, I remember as a kid, like nobody actually thought I was ever going to wear hijab in my house because they were like, shoot. And the thing, it's funny because I think maybe even my family thought like, if she, if you choose to do that, you're probably not going to like, as a kid, maybe like, I don't know. We never really, nobody ever was like, you should really put this on. But, um, it was kind of this thing that we just the that moment in history hadn't even happened yet. So why and if it if you don't see it, then how do you know if you can be it? And right. then I just started really like studying and looking into people who had. So that's like a big thing that I realize now. And I think people were very lucky. I mean, social media is what you make it of it. Like you can choose for it to be a very toxic place for yourself or you can choose for it to be a very like curated and intentional place. And I think that as I've been on that journey, I've like just been so immensely grateful to be just an example that people can have that you can just do things your way. Because I still haven't, like, I've been, I've had a job in journalism since I was 15 years old. I worked in print, radio, local television, digital, documentary, podcast. I've done all of it except for magazine. <laughs> and, um, and yet it still, like, for me to have a comp like a media company now, a storytelling company now that does it, compl it does it, like, through a very business savvy lens. Mm -hmm. Because that's the thing about, like, when you're, freelance like we're never <laughs> we're taught you have to like you have to accept that you'll never have money and you'll never like have be able to you have you do it for the art and you do it for the craft like even in Jay's school you know that your starting salary is going to be like $23,000 with no vacation days for the first three years like this is what that's why yeah. I, I would I used to always tell people if you want to be a journalist like you it has to be like the only thing you want to be because it's not an easy thing to do. And now, because so many people... How, raise the hands of like how many people who do freelance, quote-unquote, work, independent contractors, small independent business. Like, yeah. So most of us are learning this as we go. And we're doing this, like... It's just... It, it, it is a hustle. But also, the more that we talk about these things and the more that we band together and the more that we, like, build a community within that and we're like, what role... Like, what is it that you need or what are the resources? Like, how can I be of service to you? Or, I don't know, just most of my friends are in this similar positions as I am, and I'm like, oh, wait, this is actually a system that we can build outside the system. Like, we can actually create the world that we want to live in and take care of each other. And that's really cool because I'm good on, like, trying to shout 
at people to understand me or <laughs> like respect me or um, understand the like the weight in my work. A mentor of mine who I like reference all the time, Seth Godin talks a lot about the smallest viable audience and mm. like you're doing such a great job with that because Thank look you. at the room right now like we don't need to aim for even thanks for sharing my bio um <laughs> that was really kind I also like never I, I don't like sharing like social media numbers in I don't think that they're important um and it's because I really believe that the smallest viable audience is like actually a sustainable um, approach to building your business because like we don't need millions and millions of followers. We don't need yeah. millions and millions of dollars. Like who is the community that you know that you can go to that will support you for you to be able to do the work that you need to do to be in service yeah. of whoever you want to be in service of and like yeah. still not have to worry about being in debt because that would be great. Like and we can do that but what be, what is like incredibly distracting that so many of us get in our own ways about is comparing ourselves to other people mm-hmm. and trying to and and this is like a this is like a freelance problem be, like i think a lot of people do it but specifically with freelance because so many times there's not there is there is the answer is there is no one path the answer is just you like you are the answer whatever you're looking for whatever questions you're looking to have answered whatever guidance you're looking for get get guidance and get opinions and stuff from mentors but do not for one second take that answer to be gospel because it's not your gospel like you are what you have inside and yeah round of applause for that <laughs> and um i think that if we start to realize that and we realize how big we are and we realize how great we are and that we actually have something to provide. Like if you have, I remember when I did Sold, I got one message on Instagram once and it was this woman who hit me up and said, I've been listening to your podcast and I didn't know that I was being trafficked until I listened to your podcast. Mm -hmm. And I like sent it to my whole team and I was like, if she was the only person who listened to this project after like three years of work, this whole thing would have been worth it. Like, and if you think that way, you're like, I'm doing it for that one person. That's why like the projects that I take on are so personal because the intention originally starts with, I'm doing this for my child self, my 10 year old self who needed this because I know that person still exists. And I remember like, it was so weird. It's such a weird like feeling when something like this happens. I was at a wedding and this, um, this girl, this girl who was in high, high school or middle school, I don't know. She had just decided to put on the hijab and her and her mom came up to me at this wedding and she said to me that she was um, getting made fun of at school for wearing it. She had decided to wear it and she wanted to because she was in, like she was inspired by it and which is so wild to know that there's so many like Muslim women who wear the hijab that you can follow on social media because I never saw that growing up. So mm-hmm. it's like I can't even imagine what that means to people. Mm-hmm. And she literally said to me that while she was getting bullied, she took out her phone and showed her bullies my Instagram Aww. and was like, oh, yeah, well, what about <laughs> this? And that was like her pride point. And it's not about like me at all. It's about the fact that there was someone Mm. she could show who was just 
fucking cool <laughs> who like w- was wearing something similar to her and it shut bullies up and I'm like yo those like our inner childs ex- first of all they are still alive in us mm-hmm. and they still exist in us and so you hopefully y'all are doing that work <laughs> if you're ready to obviously duh but um but just know that if you're not ready to even do it for yourself that there are other people who are ready for you to do it for them yeah. so I love that story so much that's so sweet um, okay, we have time for some very quick listener questions. Yeah. So one of them comes from my friend Ilani Salcedo of Ilani Talks podcast, and she wanted to know for for your solo episodes on Podcast Noir, what inspires the topic or angle that you're going to speak on, and I guess how did you well, choose that that's the one? Wow, <laughs> people listen to those. <laughs> like, they do, they do. Yo, I will say... I forget people listen to our podcast. Like, I forget people listen to podcasts. Like, I do. I listen to podcasts. And then I, sometimes I think that they're just my, it's like my diary. Like, I'm just, yeah. it's like an excuse for me to talk to people that I really look up to. But then you realize that, yeah, I, that's really cool. And um, that's a great question because the answer to that is I don't think about it. <laughs> like, at all. I am in the habit, actually, of when I hit a stream of consciousness, which Okay, I guess this is how I prepare for it. I just, every day, I make the intention to be open. I was just talking to my partner about this, actually, today. And it's like, I have, in this past year and during COVID, the biggest thing that has changed my entire life is working, is making the intention every day to let go of control. Because it's, like, not real. You can't, you, like, we, we try to control, it's, it's just our anxiety, like our anxiety tries to control things that because it's it thinks it's protecting us but really maybe it's blocking our blessings and I realized that it was blocking some of my blessings so I was like I'm gonna choose openness every single day and when I choose openness every single day miracles happen like real like I mean the most banana miracles that you could ever imagine and I remember my friend who's like a soul 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 friend her name is Ruthie Lindsay and um she said to me recently, she was like, there's two types of people in the world, people who see everything as a miracle and people who see nothing as a miracle. Mm -hmm. And I choose to be the person who sees everything as a miracle. And so when I keep that in mind, like I know that if I were to, I could talk to like every single one of you individually and we would connect on some real shit. Like, and there would be no small talk. I would just go to you and I'd be like, hey, how's your heart? Tell me a secret. And I, that's like, I used to do that when I was young. I would literally, like, since I was a child, I would ask people to tell me their secrets. And no one ever said no. Really? I'm not joking. Like, nobody ever actually said no. They just (laughs) would tell me. And and it, but it just proves to you, like, everybody just wants to be seen, heard, and valued. Yeah. Like, nobody, it is not fun carrying secrets. Like, it's not fun for us to, like, carry so much. And by the way, I'm sure most, like a lot of you know this book, but the body keeps the score. So mm-hmm. whatever you're carrying on your insides is going to come out sideways if it hasn't already. Like I just got, I got diagnosed with an autoimmune disease back in um, a March or April. And it, I was like, oh, I know exactly, like I, I can, I know why. I mean, I don't know why. Obviously there's so many reasons, but um, it's a thyroid thing, which is like my throat. And so even like my, like, there's this area has like it's so hot a lot and it just 
Hmm. whatever it's a whole thing and I'm just like oh cool like the first question I ask myself is like what am I not saying that I'm like clearly holding that Mm -hmm. has been and sometimes you don't even know what that is because sometimes you suppress things so deeply out of survival that you don't let yourself be open to yourself or open to receiving yourself so I don't know take that chance get to know you (laughs) a good a good practice that I have right now like I've been doing is I changed my phone screensaver to a picture of my child self and anytime I think about like saying something mean to myself I look at her and I'm like Mm -hmm. I would never say that to you and then remember that like she's still there and so every time you say mean things to yourself like that version of you is still listening and do if you remember how shitty you felt when you were a kid and your parents said something mean to you or a bully said something mean to you like that reaction is still happening in your body. You've just gotten really good at hiding it. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, round of applause for our child selves. So we got time for one more question. Um, And this one comes from Jackie Harris, who's also a producer in space. And she was curious, especially after reading this really wonderful piece in the cut that you wrote Mm -hmm. not too long ago, and I want to make sure I get it right. So she asks... One particular part about tokenization really stood out to me from your piece in the cut. I'd love to hear more about what you want to see from media orgs, journalism, podcasts, etc., regarding Muslim representation in journalism as sources and as writers in newsrooms, behind the mic, etc. I know there was a lot in there, but... (laughs) No, that's a great question. Um, I think that... I think that we all owe ourselves, like an audit, like media organizations should be auditing themselves and taking note of how the way that they've covered certain stories has actually harmed people and communities. And when I was in journalism school, all of my professors except for one were cishet white men. And the only one who wasn't was my professor who did, who taught journalism in the Middle East and North Africa. And um, as much as they'd love to share and teach us about the ethics around objectivity. Mm. It was always still through a very biased lens, a very, hi Vera. That's my best friend. She just Hello. got here and Welcome. she's really great. Um, Come on in. And so yeah, so I was just telling them about how objectivity is a white fallacy and Vera is also one of my favorite journalists of all time. <laughs> And um, we talk about this all the time. So, yeah. See, these are real conversations we have. Um, So I think that, like, if you as a journalist even do that kind of audit for yourself and and ask yourself, like, how, what are the stories that I've covered? And the question I always ask is, how is the way that I've, how is the way that I cover this going to impact the people or community at hand? Mm. And it's easier to do that once you have personally experienced what the harm is. Um, And so I would say to to start, to start with that and actually acknowledge that. And and as I'm working on this investigative series, Mm -hmm. I'm like learning a lot about how essentially the journalism around 9-11 and around that time is a huge, like, should be taught in every journalism school as, like, one of the biggest failures of Mm. our democracy, essentially. Because there was so much harm that happened that was not, like, people were not held accountable for it. 
And now it's impacting how the stories are being told even around what's happening in Afghanistan or how stories around like the Muslim ban were told. Like when the Muslim ban happened with Trump and everybody was up in arms, that wasn't the first Muslim ban. Like Bush enacted a Muslim ban back then. And so we're really good at like pretending that things haven't happened, but a lot of this stuff has already happened. And um, if we take the time to acknowledge the stories that we have uh, uh, written before, and maybe this goes back to the control thing too, like recognizing that it's okay to have made mistakes and go back and, and do better, but also like we don't have to be married to every story that we consider to be a part of the thread of the American fabric. Because at the end of the day, the Amer like America is still an experiment. We're a very young country, and so it, it, and it's kind of funny to me because even when we talk about like the Constitution and everybody takes it as like the truthiest of the truthiest of the true, and I'm like, yeah. do we not want to evolve? <laughs> like, do we not want to grow? And sometimes that's like the sad part. I I stick to talking about storytelling, but I'm having like as I'm having this reflective point, I think about how we spend so much time, like policymakers spend so much time having to fight like these minute details of like hundred, like year, words that are hundreds of years old when there are so many present issues that we could be acknowledging. So it's like, we're, we're paying the price of a past that we could just learn how to process and let go of and be like, okay, well, how do we approach the concerns of today? How can I learn to see you as you today in the context of today and not in this like document that we all just agreed was going to be gospel? Yeah. So I guess it comes back to openness. <laughs> yeah, I, I also think about a lot and I remember I specifically was thinking about this in the context of age of consent and thinking about like, huh, can we look at the history of who was making these laws? And it was essentially all white cis men. And so it's like, if we're going back to a point where Wait, it was- Wait, can I actually yeah. ask what your, like, what are your thoughts on this? Because I actually, <laughs> I would love to talk about this. With, I, I would love to listen to- <laughs> I was actually gonna talk about this with you, Vera, at some point, because I'm really curious, yeah. I'm so curious actually, like about how, who came up with the age of consent yeah. and how the conversations around that yeah, have I, actually evolved. I, I know we have to wrap up because we have to uh, continue on to our next, but I, it's a, it's a lot. There's Because all the states have different laws. Okay, I'll just listen yeah, to you on we'll your podcast. To, yeah, we'll have to discuss <laughs> it another time. But um, I think everyone should do more research about that because it is terribly fascinating um but thank you so much um tell everyone where to find you and follow your work and keep up with this project that you're doing and you know share about it in case anyone has a short a story to share yeah. with you well if you do have a story um we are collecting stories that i mentioned earlier that relate to the series at all or if you just want to share your story i'm always open um you can listen to podcast nor which is just guy it's guided storytelling sessions and um, I really love curating these conversations because they feel like you're you're being taken on this little journey, and they're with some of the mo the people who have influenced or impacted or inspired me the most. And um, the only social media I'm really using these days is Instagram. 
So you can check me out on Noor, N-O-O-R. Yeah, great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. So before I ask my next guest to join me on stage, I just wanted to take this moment to, not housekeeping, but just like a couple shout outs and things. So first of all, shout out to my wonderful partner, Carrie Blue back there. He, he is the owner and founder of the Empire State Music and Arts Festival, and he does a bunch of wonderful things in the city and typically has a big festival in the summer. Obviously, COVID changed that, so he's been innovating and doing awesome smaller shows throughout the city, and this is one of the spaces that he was in for the summer, but he's been helping me produce this whole thing, so thank God, because I needed the help. Um, and he also is the producer of all my original music on the pod broad, so I don't know if we can play that at the end of tonight, but I would love to play it so people can like actually bop to it in person because I always want to dance to it and do dance to it when I hear it. Um, and I also wanted to just remind that tonight is a partial fundraiser for the New York Abortion Access Fund. <laughs> Woo! Um, so thank you to those of you who have donated thus far. If you are able to donate, suggested donation is $25. If you can't afford that, no problem. You can donate as little as $1. It's all helpful. 20% um, of the proceeds will go there. The rest will go to funding this night. And if there's anything left, it'll go to the pod broads and the production there. Um, I also have some merch. So it's not a lot, but I have some beautiful stickers on sale over there, which you can check out after the recording. And I also have a bag with a special group of merch things, one of my Podraland hats, which uh, Mark back there is wearing the black version, but I have, yes, he's representing tonight. But this one is a nice like electric blue with some purple. Um, and there's some stickers in there. I also am doing a gift card for Cafe Con Libros, which is a black-owned feminist bookshop in Brooklyn. So you'll get a gift certificate there. And if you donated $25 and up, you're automatically going to be entered into the raffle for that. So stick around for when I announce who won. I think that's it. Okay, let me read Tiffany's official bio before she comes on up. Tiffany Ashte is the U.S. Director of Partnerships at ACAST, the creator-first podcast company that hosts, distributes, and monetizes more than 30,000 podcasts from the world's leading creators. A yes, woo. A three-time Webby Award-nominated executive producer, Tiffany has more than a decade of experience leading, executing, executing, woo, executing, and managing projects in audio storytelling, video production, digital, and podcast production. She's worked with brands such as Sports Illustrated, Coach, Jordan Brand, Essence Magazine, and Black Entertainment Television, otherwise known as BET. She founded and ran the Essence Podcast Network and the first ever podcast network in the brand's 50-year history, which is created, operated, developed, and produced by women of color. Woo! Yes. So much awesome things. And also, I was lucky enough to get to work with Tiffany briefly at ACAST this past summer, and Becky, who's also in the front row. So come on up, Tiffany. Let's give a big round of applause while she's walking up to the stage. Woo! Keep it going, keep it going, keep it going. There's still, there's still movement happening. Thank you. Amazing. Hello. Welcome. Look at these glasses. 
I love me some glasses. I love those. Where are they from? Literally, they're from Amazon. Really? Yes. <laughs> oh, I should look into those. I wish I wish they were from somewhere fancier, but no, just off no. Amazon. No, that's the move. That's the, I got mine from Zenny. They were like $35. Um, they're great. I'm not wearing them, but they're great. Um, <laughs> I, well, before we start, I just want to say yeah. like, props to you. Thank props you. Props to every, like, give Alexandra a round of applause yes. for everything that you've been doing, like, Thank amazing, you. amazing, boss I, ass stuff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I appreciate it. I'm so glad you're here. Um, okay, so, uh, oh, and I realized I forgot to ask this to Nor, but here we are now. Um, we know your work life, but who are you outside of work? Jeez, that's such a loaded it's question. It's a big question. It is. It's so loaded. Huge question. When you were asking Bronwyn, I was like, that's so like existential. It's like, where am I? Who am I? What are we? What's the purpose of anything? <laughs> um, I am a New Yorker. That's mm. just it. Like, mm. uh, the sass, the bluntness, the, the deep voice, the hands. <laughs> I'm just a New Yorker. Born and raised in Brooklyn for a very long time. Like, I am a New Yorker. It's gonna come out anywhere, yeah. everywhere. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Everything else, like with the rundown, uh, half. Um, my father's from Ghana, Accra. Cool. My mom is from the South. Um, where in the South? North Carolina. Oh shit! Oh shit! We oh. have where oh. in North Carolina? Really? Oh. <laughs> I was waiting for that Didn't reaction. Okay. Uh, Greenville, North Carolina. There okay. is a Greenville okay. in North Carolina, and my mom is from there. So, yeah. I love it. But she doesn't even count that anymore because she's been here for like 55 years. So oh, wow. she's like, I'm a New Yorker now. And That's I'm like, fair. Okay. It's just, she was here before I was. So like, okay. <laughs> cool. Cool. <laughs> oh, I love it. Um, okay. So, the first question that oh. I have for you. Um, well, actually, I I don't know that much about how you ended up building a whole freaking <laughs> podcast network. So I definitely want to start there. So br bring me back to I don't know if there's like a specific day where you were like, yes, this is gonna happen. But bring me bring me back to the moment moments that kind of led to you building that, if you can remember. <laughs> it, was like, it was it was a stormy day in August. No. Um. <laughs> So uh, I have been working at Essence for a while. I've been in like media for like well over 15 years at this point. Okay. And so um, when I was at Essence, I was working on Yes Girl podcast. So mm -hmm. anyone that, this is like 2018, 2019. So like, I feel like podcasting has like BC and <laughs> like, but in this, it literally is like before COVID and mm -hmm. after COVID because like it was just it was just a different world, and so this is like 2018, 2019, working at Essence just um, as a digital producer and an audio producer, working on Yes Girl podcast and just really seeing at that time like what podcasts there were for like Black women, what podcasts there were for women of color, and at that point, you know. There was another round, there was the read, there yeah. were like a handful, but I was like, I need more. Like, it was Yes Girl, but I'm like, I wanna hear more. Yeah. And so um, it was really just in a conversation with like the host of Yes Girl and some other editors, and I don't know where we were, I don't know what the time was, but it was just <laughs> one of those things like, it would be cool if we could like do this four times over, right? And yeah. so at that point, 
when you're working for a media company, it, everything's about dollars and cents, right? So it, has, it only makes sense if it makes sense. And so at that point, it's like, okay, well, <laughs> how I like do that. <laughs> It's true, though. Um, so at that point, it's like, okay, well, how do we like make this desirable? And literally, I remember, this is, this is what I remember. I remember spending Christmas holiday 2018, because mm -hmm. I was watching you on Netflix season one, because that show is amazing. <laughs> How timely. <laughs> I know. That show is creepy, but good. We'll leave it right there. Um, and I remember like spending Christmas break, like building out a budget, building out a timeline, like really putting a deck together, because I was like, OK. Let's, I'm gonna pitch it. Yeah. And I pitched it to my boss, and she had a bunch of questions, and so basically she said, she cut my budget, like, immensely, and she was like, um, if you can do it for this amount, mm -hmm. let's give it a shot. Okay. And, you know, the good thing is, is that the editors wanted this, right? Like, the editors of Essence Magazine were the hosts of their shows. These were mm. their concepts. These are their babies that they wanted to like birth in through audio. And yeah. so like that's what made it easy, right? Like they also believed in it. They also wanted their stories and stories from their categories to be told and for women, black women, women of color, women everywhere to be able to hear this. And mm. so I just had to make a business case for it. But they made it easy because they had the concepts. Mm. So yeah, and then we literally got greenlit to launch four shows in six months. And wow. we did it. And the network was born. Hell yeah. <laughs> I feel like round of applause for that. Yeah. So yeah. So when you were building this network, if I'm not mistaken, you had not previously built a podcast network for this moment. So what were like some of the most unexpected and surprising challenges that happened during that time? <laughs> it's, it's logistics, right? It's yeah. all the things that you don't think about when, you're when it's just one show, Yeah. right? It's thinking about, okay, like, I feel like, I feel like I'm at work now because these are like words that I say now <laughs> oh, every day. Sorry. But <laughs> <laughs> Oops. <laughs> no, not in, not in a bad way. But like, you think about things like scale. You yeah. think about things like um, monetization. You think about, okay, it's, you think about booking, but now you have to book for five shows. Yeah. You think about writing scripts, right? You think about all of these things, but then you three exit, four exit, five exit. And you think about like, how does this tie into the mission, right? Yeah. Like all of these things you, you don't have to think about if it's just one show. Yeah. But when you have a network, it's, you have to every day make a case. It's almost like a television network or mm -hmm. a streaming network. You have to make a case for each piece of content that exists on that platform. And yeah. that's the lens that I had to think about things that I wasn't used to. Okay, so, so talk to me about what your self-care was like during those six months. <laughs> what was happening with you? <laughs> I feel like I'll give you the same answer then as it was now. Like, what is self-care? Every day is a challenge. It is. It, it truly is. Every single day is a challenge. Like, I find self-care in the little things. Sometimes yeah. I just need, like, like yesterday. Yesterday I was having a day. Mm. And when I'm having a day, I'm like, what is the one thing that will make me happy for 10 minutes? Mm. So I literally ordered DoorDash. <laughs> and... <laughs> 
and it was the messiest, most delicious burger you could ever have in your life. I love it. And like, I was just like, oh no, we're all the calories. Okay, so it's gonna be a cheeseburger, it's gonna be the fixings, I want onion rings, I want a milkshake, all the things. And I literally sat down and I watched one of my favorite episodes of Martin, and it made me happy. And so sometimes it's those things. Like, I can't, I'm not going to the spa on, like, Wednesday night. Right, right. But I need to feel better, right? Because it's yeah. emotion. Yeah. Self-care is about emotion mm-hmm. and finding emotional balance within yourself. Yeah. And so what is going to give me joy? Yeah. What is going to balance my vibe? And whatever that is, <laughs> I'm going to find it. Oh, I love that answer. I <laughs> I really do because I was think I was thinking about this the other day and I think I also saw someone probably tweet about it. That's often where everything from my brain that or Twitter TikTok is where things come from now. <laughs> but someone had said something like I need self-care from my self-care because like their their self-care was starting to stress them out because you have the in your mind like what self-care is supposed to be oh, yeah. and sometimes it's like very involved and like I don't know, like I got my nails done this morning and getting my nails done is like, it's a, it's a practice in self-care yeah. on one extent. On the other extent, when you're like getting off an old set and getting a new set on, that takes about like three hours of sitting in a chair, which can be like a little stressful for your back. And so I'm like, <laughs> is this actually self-care at this point? Um, so yeah, I think that's a great, that's a great example. <laughs> but no, you're absolutely right. And I, not to take it left, but like, as much as I love Instagram, I look at like how some people and however they want to practice self-care is fine. It's just the way my life and my apartment is set up. I don't have that much natural light. Mm-hmm. I don't have that many white walls. Like I can't <laughs> struggle. I can't keep plants alive to save my um, life. So I it's like, you. okay, well this isn't gonna work for me. Right. <laughs> so I'm gonna go find what makes me happy. Oh, and sometimes it's just a burger from DoorDash. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so another thing that I was really Curious to ask you, and it's one of my favorite things to ask people, actually, because I think it can be really hard to identify sometimes, is like when to walk away from something, especially walk away from something that you built. And so, yeah, I want to know when or why did it feel like the right moment to let Essence Podcast Network go forth into someone else's arms and for you to move on into your new role at ACAST? Oh, well, before that, I'm going to bring my leg down because my thighs are too thick. I can't hold that for too long. But um, so life is interesting in the sense that I truly believe that manifestation happens. And I also believe it's not just what you say, it's what you think. Mm. And so sometimes the universe is working just off of your thoughts. And your words are the second step and your actions are the belief in it. And Mm. so... What really happened, if you really want to know, is yes. what year is this? It's still 2020? It okay. is 2021. It's still yeah. 2020. I had a moment where I was like, is it? I don't know. Like, where are um. we? Uh, so, <laughs> literally, sometime last year, I want to say it was like between spring and summer. Yeah. I'm in my house. Obviously, everyone's working from home, and I realized that I want to work on the business side of podcasting. Like, mm. I've, been, I've been in production pretty much my whole career, behind the scenes, but I really want to understand how the money is made for multiple reasons. Yeah. Too many times creators create great things and they don't get paid their worth. And I am a huge proponent in making sure that you understand the numbers so that you get paid your worth. Yeah. And I just really said, I want to just be able to, I want to be able to understand that so that I can advocate for that, so I can tell other people, like, 
I don't want to just base my experience off of ignorance and not be able to like share what I know, but then have this huge void of, I don't know how you can make true money off of it. Yeah. And so that was just brewing in my head, spring, summer. Didn't think nothing of it, going about business as usual. Mm -hmm. And then <laughs> life works in very mysterious ways. So um, we were working on a international podcast day campaign. Yeah, huge campaign. We just we had a bunch of different po um, podcast influencers involved. Anna from Black Pod Collective mm. and Barry oh, cool. um, from Podcast and Color and Twyla from HR Digital Media. We had a lot of people involved, Yay. and it, we were excited. All the things, and then sure enough, um, as a casualty of the pandemic, yeah, they cut budgets and they had to stop a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And the audio department was one of those things. Literally got that call the day we were before International Podcast Day. Yeah. Oh, wow. So literally we had to call everybody and say, like, it's not going down. Like, the audio team has just, everything about the podcast network oh my God. has been put on pause. So traumatizing. So traumatizing. <laughs> I fret not, because... <laughs> So fret not because, um, so a colleague of Becky's and ours, uh, Vernon Foster, who is also works at ACAST, who is amazing, uh, who has podcasts of his own, so you should definitely check uh -oh, them out. Uh-oh, what's the name? Do you what, remember? What <laughs> oh, <Okay>. sorry. <laughs> it's going to be in the show notes. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Here we go. <laughs> We're going to send it over. You can text it to me. <laughs> <laughs> but ironically, before... Before um, the audio department shut down, Vernon and I were in talks because we wanted to move Essence over to ACAST oh, from okay. wherever we were. Mm. And so he and I just built just a whole conversation. Yeah. And so he was like, oh, you're available. Yeah. And so he told me about an opportunity. I interviewed for it. And then start of 2021, I ended up at ACAST. And literally doing the thing I said I wanted to do, which is working on the business side of podcasting. So, and so, oh, look, won't he do it? Won't he do it? <laughs> and so, literally, it, what I was thinking back yeah. in the spring and the summer manifested itself by the winter of the next year. And so what you think may be a valley is just mm -hmm. a pause to set you up for the mm. next mountain. And so it really is like, that's how a it word. happened. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. I love that. Also, I have to, uh, just on, on what you're saying right now, so TK Dutez is in the audience right now. TK! And something... Hey! <laughs> Something you said reminds, reminded me of something TK said that I wrote down in my little notebook two years ago at work in 2019, and it was essentially like, I, I really took it to heart. It was essentially like how luck happens when, hopefully I don't butcher it, but it was something about like luck happens when like preparation meets opportunity, and 100%. So thank you for that. Um, and what you just said, both of those things, I mean, completely true, and I've continue to see it time and again, especially this last year, so. Always. Also, this is a moment, because, like, now I get to see TK in person. Like, hey. we've been trying to make this happen forever. Really? Yeah, so oh, look, I at, love look that. at this. Manifestation. Hey, That's, a <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Um, okay, I semi-selfishly want to ask you this question. <laughs> um, okay. But I, I think that it'll benefit other people in the crowd. Um, and I ask it because this last year especially has been 
a kind of reprogramming of my own relationship to money, my own money mindset, and like how I think about maybe what's possible, what myself and my work is worth, um, especially unpacking a lot of um, early <laughs> 20s workplace trauma. Um, and <laughs> so <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of people in the crowd know exactly what uh, I'm talking about. Uh-oh, um, uh-oh, uh-oh. So I know, I heard people whispering <laughs> yeah. like, oh, snap, oh, we made it through together. Um, <laughs> so I, I, this question came up for you f- in my brain because, because of like honestly some of like the deals I saw you kind of manage and handle and get and uh, the money you held to make for, um, for I believe Essence and just like I mean all of the work that you've done and even with you just talking about how you wanted to be more on like the money side and help make sure that creators get paid for their work. So it's kind of a general question of just what's your relationship to money, like your growth relationship to money been? Like has, has it been something that you've been kind of comfortable and confident around or is it, no, okay. Um, I, love, I love that because I'm always like, gosh, it seems like she really like is like good and like has got it like together with like money. And I'm just like, what's that process been like and like what kind of rewiring have you had to do? Yeah. No, yeah. that's a good question. It's funny, my body answered for me and my mouth didn't even have to say anything. It was just like, no. <laughs> Um, so I totally understand like different experiences of workplace trauma, whether it's financial, Mm -hmm. right? Um, whether it's professional. And so my, my relationship with money is now in these like more grown up years, I'm starting to reconcile, Mm. but this is after years of making mistakes. And I'm talking about years in investing in things that didn't serve me, that I only did because other people said I should do it. Mm. And it's like... (laughs) (laughs) I'm loving these audience reactions. Give me more. (laughs) Like, it could be everything from, like, spending money on going to certain schools or spending, like, having student loan debt or having credit cards that I'm still paying for things that I can't even remember what the hell I bought. I'm like, what? Where is the thing <laughs> that I'm still paying interest on? And, and it's funny because, like, I feel like not enough people talk yeah. about money, right? Yeah. And people make it seem as though, oh, it's passe or it's rude. And it's like, no, we can have conversations about everything else. We, yeah. can, we can reconcile and come to terms with everything else and put everything else on front street, but we don't want to put the thing that's sitting in our bank accounts, in our back pocket, that we have to literally use as a commerce exchange yeah. We don't want to talk about this. Like, yeah. everything that we are touching or looking at right now was purchased with money. Why don't we want to talk about it? So mine, at, like, thank goodness it was 2021 and there's apps that have, like, helped me to <laughs> really figure out where my money was going. Mm-hmm. Like, Digit, no, they're not, maybe they should sponsor this. Digit, come, yeah, let's come and sponsor <laughs> Alexandra's podcast. But, uh... <laughs> I'm down. Man, manifest. Give me that sponsorship. Uh. <laughs> but like certain apps just made me see how like wasteful I was like becoming. And really like, and you asked me at the top, like, who am I? As I start to really understand who I am, yeah. what I want for me, and not because anyone else said, it made me realize what I truly value. Mm-hmm. And what I value is what I spend my money on. Yeah. And it also made me see my worth. Yeah. Because if I understand who I am, can nobody tell me otherwise? Yeah. So, and, and, and like, it's 
every day is a, is a struggle, right? Because like we work and live in America mm-hmm. and in this world and in the society that sometimes will make us feel less than. And a lot of that has everything to do with them and nothing to do with us. And so yeah. I used to run an agency for five years after I graduated grad school. A college friend and I, we started an agency. And one of the best pieces of advice that we got is, um, it was almost like um, what Fat Joe said, but much earlier. It was <laughs> like, the, the, the price is the price. Like, the price went up. Like, whatever you chose. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, I, know, I know what quote you're you talking know what about. I'm yes. And so, what is it? What's the quote? Oh, he, yesterday's price. Yeah. There, there we go. Me. Yesterday's yes. price is not Thank today's you. price. So, yes. every time you check off a That's box so for an accomplishment or something that you did that you're proud of, the price just went up. Yes. Yesterday's price is not today's price. And like some the person from yesterday may not pay it, but the person from tomorrow might. Yeah. So stick to what that is and don't be deterred because people don't want to pay that. There are people out here who will. Yeah. So yeah. Yes. I, I know I went around the block and down the corner oh, it's with fine. that. It was a good walk. Right. I needed it. <laughs> I, I feel very passionate about money and value. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for letting me ask you that because <laughs> Like you said, I, not everyone wants to be in the shoes of having to talk about it, so talk I appreciate about, it. Yeah, yeah. talk about it. Yeah. <sighs> okay, we have to wrap up, but I know. And thank you so much for like being. Give give yourselves a round of applause for a second. Thank you so much for coming out. It's so wonderful to have you all in the crowd tonight. Um, and thank you, Tiffany. And where can people find you? How can they support what you're doing? Where do you where do you want to lead them to? All the things. Okay, yeah. so I will give you my Instagram handle. It's Miss Tiff Says. Um, I'm not as like on there as I should be, but send me a message. I'll get to it. I promise. Um, my name, Tiffany Ashte, and thank you for like, most people ask me what my last name is because they usually butcher it. You got it right. Oh, I'm 100%. so glad. You got I, it right. Thank you. I appreciate it. I investigated that. it on a podcast. I was like, let me go find something that she's been introduced on because I don't want to fuck this up. Um, so I'm glad that I pronounced it correctly. I appreciate that. So you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, and then I will, if you don't mind, I want to end by just shouting out some other people's podcasts. Yes, please do. I work I'm behind the all scenes. For that. Yes. By all means, please check out other people's podcasts. So, yes. um, well, or other people's work. So, um, Jaleka. Yes. <laughs> from Jaleka the LWC studio. Uh, Twyla Dang from HR yes. Media. Another yes. She was um, like, I'm so gutted I can't come tonight. And I was like, I know. <laughs> Make sure you check out everything that TK has done there. Yes. TK has a wonderful episode with, in, on NPR's Life Kit about setting up your legacy. Mm-hmm. And I promise you, I've listened to that episode three times over. Money, right? All yeah. about this money. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. <laughs> Make sure y'all see TK to pay. Yes. Um, as I mentioned earlier, um, Ona, um, Ona from Black, yes, from Black Pod Collective, Barry from Podcasting Color. Yes. Um, there are some small pods you should check out if you're all about your wellness. Check out Be Well Sis, um, which I love, 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 love. There are two new podcasts. You were talking about workplace trauma. There's a new podcast called Work Stories. Delicious. Where, they, where she interviews different women who have been through workplace trauma and she brings a therapist. So oh, check cool. that out. And then um, just for a little soul food for your soul, uh, check out Stay A While podcast. Awesome. So, and all of the stuff that Essence did, it's still there. So Yes, yes, amazing. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you.
Original music is produced by Carrie Blue. The cover art was designed by Elsa Bermudez, and everything else is produced and edited by me, myself, and I, Miss Alexandra Cole. And you can follow me on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and Facebook at Podraland, and you can find out more of what I do at www.podraland.com. Sign up for my newsletter for more recommendations of women-hosted podcasts, related news, and special updates about this podcast. And finally, make sure to share this episode. Tag us in it, like that shit, give it a review. Anything you do helps not just this podcast get more exposure, but also helps these women's voices be heard by way more people. And ultimately, that's my goal. So let's fucking do it. <laughs>